All right, is this episode four? This is episode four. It's coming out about uh, six months after the last episode. Three eons since we last sat down to do this. It it really does feel like a long time. And uh, a lot has happened. Uh, The weird thing is we planned this podcast, the topic and everything, um, the examples and all of it actually now right after our last episode uh, three, which was canceled. Yeah. The episode wasn't canceled. It was entitled canceled. <laughs> the episode was so canceled with two L's. Because I guess you're British. I guess so. Okay. I thought you were an American. Cheerio. I know. Okay. I don't want to jump right into the topic, though. We want to uh, chit-chat for a minute. Uh, catch up with our listeners. I do know before we get too deep, I do want to make a correction a little bit of uh, housekeeping. Um, in the canceled episode, I mentioned a book by the Diary of a Wimpy Kid author being pulled for um, stereotypical images and realized after we recorded that it is not Diary of a Wimpy Kid. It was Captain Underpants, which I have no idea. Those I thought those were the same thing. So apologies it's been six months, I guess. Better, Apologies better to that author. Um, and and shame on the Captain Underpants author, I guess, instead. We, we have to shame him? <laughs> well, he's we the even... one who was, who was shamed and or canceled. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't Diary I, of a Wimpy Kid is I blameless. know nothing about either one of those franchises, so I'll withhold my opinion. Generally a wise uh, approach. Yeah. Well, so the first three episodes, we talked a lot about uh, sort of culture war stuff, and we thought maybe we would try to get away from that a little bit this time. Yeah, I do think we want to um, talk a little bit about what we're reading, what we're watching, okay. well, what we're playing, okay. what we're thinking about. You know, um, I usually just wanted to jump right in, but we can, we can do he that. He fights I guess. me on this segment every time. He doesn't want to visit and chit chat and talk about. Uh, frivolous things i just don't think that all of our listeners in frankfurt germany really care what book i'm reading right now that is something that we discovered all all of our top top listeners our top listener count is all in frankfurt germany so guten tag (laughs) (laughs) and willkommen do you have anything to say to our german audience i don't think i have any other german words that would be useful in this context okay um, it is kind of weird and random and exciting to see podcast plays pop up all over the world. Some, some cities pop up and we're, we're very aware of who's streaming us from Salt Lake City or upstate New York. Uh, but, but to our listeners in Germany, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So jump into your favorite segment. Um, okay. Um, Let's see what I'm watching recently. I just got the uh, the free version of the NBC Peacock app because they have every season of Law and Order Criminal Intent on there, and I just have to watch it with ads. But this is a big deal because uh, you could not buy seasons two through I think six anywhere on for streaming or um, or digitally or on disc, and so I've been living without seasons two through six of Law and Order Criminal Intent for years it's just a joy to have it back in my life (laughs) so thank you peacock 
All right. Um, reading, uh, I know this is every episode we've said we're still reading Wheel of Time. We just finished uh, book six, and I, that's Lord of Chaos, and I just started not even half a chapter of Crown of Swords, so that's book seven. It's a great series. Every book is better than the last, so... Um, I agree, and there's no way we're going to finish watching it be- before I'm the sorry, series begins. Before the series begins, that we can watch on Amazon. That's true, but, but I I feel if we're seven books ahead, we're very unlikely to get spoiled on anything in season one. Probably true. It's just going to interfere with my picture of the world and the characters because the same thing happened to me when I read Harry Potter. I had already watched uh, a few of the movies, then I decided to read the books. Well. I was encouraged to read the books. I did like them after all. He was forced to read the books. <laughs> and uh, between reading the books, listening to the audiobooks with the um, narrator Jim Dale and watching the movies, I think my idea of like the way that the character sounded, looked, and what the world uh, looked kind of got really jumbled up. So I, I was trying to hope to avoid that with the uh, Wheel of Time, but... I think you just have to be strong-minded enough that your own mental images will out over (laughs) (laughs) over the images external to your own brain. Okay. You're just being too weak-minded. I guess so. Wow. Is this the way this episode's going to go already? (laughs) Uh, Another thing we've been watching, last night we just finished Squid Game. Uh, A pretty horrifying... uh, journey into Korean television. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to spoil anything on that, but if you like the Hunger Games except 50 times more violent, um, yeah, check it out. It's very brutal. Uh, there are some uh, sort of, I almost said heartwarming, not heartwarming, but uh, episodes where the characters have a lot of nice uh, interaction with each other That that's outside of all the killing and the and the violence. That Spoiler was alert, there's a lot of killing and violence. Well, I think everyone knows that by now. Okay. Um, I, I think knowing that also doesn't ruin the show for you. No. So uh, I, I guess I would recommend that. And then we're... we're... I, I wouldn't recommend it, but... <laughs> you wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I'm not going to recommend anything that violent and crazy. Um. I mean, you must have liked it. We watched it in, what, three nights? Yeah, I liked it pretty well. I actually liked it quite a lot, but I still don't know if I could (laughs) recommend it. It's like um, junk food that you know is terrible for you, so you enjoy eating it, but really nobody should eat it, so... Yeah. Okay. I I could see it. We haven't watched a lot of Korean TV or movies ever. Uh, We watch our fair share of anime. Um... Yeah, so it was kind of interesting to watch uh, something out of Korea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the winner of Best Picture last year or the year before was also a Korean film, but we haven't got around to watching it yet. What was the name of that? Uh, Parasite? Yes. Yeah. Well, Parasite with a Y. Yeah. Um, which, uh, it would be interesting to see that because I'm sure Squid Game is not representative of Korean cinema <laughs> as a whole. Um, just yeah, as I'm sure no my favorite anime Food Wars is not representative of Japanese culture as a whole <laughs> probably not um, so yeah that's reading and television uh, we've been playing um, we got the Mario Party for 
the Nintendo Switch. We've been playing that some. Uh, we're still, uh, like, stuck in Diablo. We will play about an hour every couple months. <laughs> Before you get bored and then we move on. It's just very much a lot of the same old thing. So it is fun. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I played it a long time ago. It's really for you to play through. Yeah. And then we tried to play the new Back for Blood, which looked like a continuation of one of our favorite multiplayers ever, uh, Left 4 Dead. And it turns out you can't play multiplayer on the same system with the yeah, new Yeah, I know Couch Blood. Co-op is a big uh, problem for that game, but I don't know. What's our alternative? Get two Xboxes and two Xbox Live accounts? <laughs> this is how he tries to convince me in front of all of our listeners that he needs a second Xbox so yeah. that we can play that game. I think we can just play it on the computer. Yeah, we could do some crossplay. I think on PC and Xbox would be all right. We don't have to buy the new Series X. Yeah. Uh, so what have you been reading I think you kind of covered most of it for me as well. <laughs> the only thing that I, um, uh, I guess, have... Well, I played uh, recently Unto the End. Oh, right. right. That game that you just yeah, it's a yelling game that at. Was, it was made on Unity, and, and I got Xbox Game Pass, so I was like, I'm going to try some new games. And it's probably one of the most frustrating infuriating games i've ever played it is just it's a game where you have to die and restart all the time because you can't know uh the first time like how to solve the puzzle or how to get past the enemy or how to you know get through a certain part of the level so it's a constant die try again die try again and the the combat is ridiculously hard and i'm i'm not just uh making that up like if you go online and look there's so many reviews <laughs> and complaints about how it hard it wasn't just the game hard is. for me. It's so hard for it, everyone. No, I would be in the other room watching Leonard or Criminal Intent, and I'd hear, "Ah, I hate this game. What the fuck?" So I don't know. I don't know why I uh, <laughs> playing it other than just needing to defeat it. Completionist. But, oh, we did play the old, the throwback um, remake of Oregon Trail on uh, the Apple TV. Oh yeah, that, Apple was, that was fun too. It had a lot of the same elements from the original one, but they improved it a lot. Kind of made a lot like a lot more strategy RPG based, where you could actually manage your your inventory and manage the wagon and do a lot of different things you could do before. So it was a really good. We did still like randomly lose one of our wagon party in a river crossing. It's pretty horrifying. Yeah, that we had three that made it to the end. We did. They all had broken arms from bear attacks, but they did make it to the yeah. Oregon City. Or, Oregon City? The, Fort well, Oregon. they're going to the Willamette Valley. Right. Uh, Fort Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like like uh, Oregon Trail unto the end of the game that you definitely play like more than once, and it says you can try to get better at certain parts or complete uh, Oh, yeah, for sure. Tasks. We'll probably wait a little while before we play Oregon Trail again. Uh, yeah. We also did get the old um, Sweet Valley High board game. <laughs> we, did. we have to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game that I used to play when I was a kid. And basically the point is you play as one of the Sweet Valley High uh, char- characters and you have to collect all the items you need for your big date, including your boyfriend. So a lot of the game is, is stealing each other's boyfriends to prevent the other person from winning. That that uh, resulted in a fair amount of hilarity. Um in a lot of ways, it's almost kind of like sorry. A little but, bit, because it's kind of random. With, uh, yeah, just move around the board. There's not much else besides rolling mm, it There's not a lot of skill. Moving. 
uh, I think the year it says seven and up, but I don't know. And I was probably that little when I played, but a seven year old stealing boyfriend is as equally hilarious as husband and wife stealing each other's boyfriends. <laughs> and uh, I think you watched all the Attack on Titan since last time we podcasted, or as far as you could. Well, yeah, I've caught up as far as, yeah, waiting on new, new episodes. So, oh, we saw Dune this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the six months since we podcasted, we could probably just dump a lot of media on you. But I, I can tell that John is squirming, ready to move on to our main topic. <laughs> He's like, stop listing movies. It's mean, a lot of stuff we could list. <laughs> um. Okay, so uh, on from the the fun and into the work, which is our topic this week. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this will be fun to talk about as well. Oh, I was just making a joke. I, I know. We're, we're... Well, I, that's for the literalists. <laughs> okay, well, so uh, we had been thinking about this a lot, uh, partly as John started working... Um, in thinking about our different experiences in working remote um, and then just bigger picture thinking about the nature of work more generally, um, the the reasons for work, the value of work. Yeah. Sorry about that. I hit the cable. Yeah. Also, I mean, something that just kind of came to mind a little bit too when we were talking, well, before we started recording is that... Um, you know, I started this job six months ago and it's a career change and you had a big career change. And I think a lot of people our age have lots of career changes as well. So, you know, just like this whole topic of work could get really broad talking about all kinds of things like that. I don't know though, that we want to try to just mainly focus it on, um, we're just going to focus on mostly like remote work and how people are, are working now. Cause I mean, Obviously, a big part of the millennial experience is changing careers, not staying at, at, at jobs for a long time. Whereas I mean, people it, we know that are older than us have basically worked their entire lives sometimes at the same factory I mean, I think factory that we can company. talk about that a little bit. I know I have some notes about um, sort of generational differences with how they view mm. um, work in its current state. But I should read the outline, apparently. <laughs> He, he helped write the outline, but as we said, almost, it's been almost six, six months, months ago. ago, so I don't know what's in there anymore. Okay, so I think uh, what we had written um, was just uh, in, in terms of starting, uh, what, what do we think about work at a very uh, basic level? Like, how would you define work or how do you think of work um, personally? Yeah, it's funny you said that, like, what is work? I was just thinking about, like, in, I think it's, like, introductory physics or something like that. There's, like, a definition for it for just, like, is it the ability to, like, move something from one place to another and and, 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 and release or, like, use some energy or something like that. But... Um, well, yeah, there's the, like, the physics the, definition. Yeah. And then... I was trying to think back to what, what that was. I can't think of it right now. But <laughs> I think we're thinking more like just in general working is just, I mean, it's spending time and energy doing something. Right? right. I mean, like in a, at a biological level, it's, it's just trying to gather food and trying to, uh, keep from getting eaten. All those things are examples of work or right. trying to find mates and reproduce. So, I mean, it just comes down to like, 
the the basics of uh, you know how you're expending your time and energy. And I mean, it could be like I said for a biological thing. It's just about procuring food. And then in our modern times, I guess what we do is when we think of work, we're trading our time and energy for some type of currency that we can use to basically buy things we want. Food, mates. <laughs> buy mates. Sexy. Uh, I think uh, I think I also want to broaden how we think about work in a modern context and in terms of it's not just uh, an exchange of uh, money for, for labor. It's also... Um, because people who work who aren't employed, right? Like we all work around the house or people work taking care of their kids. Um, those aren't things that necessarily uh, people derive monetary com- compensation for. But I, I think it's important to define some of these things as work. I mean, even some of our hobbies, in, anything that you're even that you're doing for fun that produces something of value, mm-hmm. I think you can consider work. So, the remodeling that you've done on our house. Uh, I knit, uh, I knit things, scarves and socks. And uh, to me, that's work too. I mean, it's fun. I do it while I'm watching TV, but, uh, I really, I really kind of want to think about work pretty broadly. Um, because I do think that there's problems in the way that we, for people that define work in a, in too limited of a way, um, we lose, we lose or we don't, when we, when we think about it just in terms about what we value in terms of paying money for it, we um, maybe don't give uh, certain other kinds of work their due. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, I guess if, if we were to be as, as narrow as saying that we're like exchanging our time for some sort of benefit to ourselves, I mean, yeah, that gets rid of volunteer work and housework and right. raising of children and so forth. And I, I mean, that is, you're still kind of doing it in order to achieve a goal or get something. Well, yeah, some I think it benefit, goes along but... with your definition of like biological work or like historically or, or anthropologically thinking about work as opposed to like the modern paradigm where I do something and I get paid for it. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So starting off with that context, then work is a a large encompassing topic yeah so but i think um part of where we wanted to start is um the importance of work uh so um i mean we we could be obviously work is important in the context of making money and having an income and being able to uh support yourself um but if we look at work more broadly um i think there's a lot of value to work and i think uh I, I think this, I think it's almost something that needs to be stated because so many people are sort of anti-work. There's a subreddit that I dive into sometimes and it's completely toxic and it's called anti-work. And there's... Is this because they hate the concept of work or because they hate the work that they do? I mean, I think maybe it starts from hating the work that they do, but then the sentiment that gets expressed a lot on there is that like, fuck work we're all being just taken advantage of and we sh- human beings shouldn't have to work and well i think that there's some points to be made about um demeaning work or dehumanizing work or work that takes advantage of people in terms of 
um, the kind of labor they do and the compensation that they get, that sort of glosses over, especially when we broaden the definition of work, the kind of value that can be, um, that you get out of working. Well, yeah, I mean, the value you get and just sort of the purpose it contributes to your life. So, I mean, obviously, though, it's, it is the, when we think of work, it is the most important thing in your life in some ways, because anytime you meet a, a stranger or, you know, you're at a party or you meet somebody for the first time, they say, what do you do? What do you do is, is another way of saying, what is your career? What's your job? So and obviously we equate who we are as people with our jobs. So it's, so it's easy to see maybe on your subreddit where people that have a a job that they hate or it's a job that's really pointless it translates in their minds to a pointless life or a meaningless life so we have to you know right, discuss whether why... or not that is work really the center of our lives or or when someone asks us what do you do is it weird to say actually i like to paint <laughs> well that's what I mean, I, that's what i would advocate for is sort of reframing um what we think of as work to some extent like both of us have been in positions where we're unemployed and that's why we, that's a little bit why we recognize the, um, fucked up of that question. The, what do you do? I guess I do nothing, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, if it's not, if you're not going into a job and, and bringing home a paycheck, how do you answer that question? But like, there's lots of, um, work that people do that is a really valid answer to that question. I mean, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a student right now. Uh, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I, uh, I'm remodeling the house during the pandemic. I'm, you know, and speaking from experience, if you don't find something that feels like work uh, when you're unemployed, um, you hear this a lot too about the people that are retired. If you don't find something to keep you active, something that fits sort of this broad definition of work that we've kind of defined. Um, you, it's really easy to feel like adrift or depressed. Um, yeah. So it's I mean, not surprising that maybe, I don't know, you think like, I don't know, how did we get to something like a 40 hour work week? I mean, maybe if you do a lot less than that, <laughs> you, you kind of go crazy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if you don't find something that occupies your time that you gain some value from, um, whether that's contributing to your household or contributing to the world or making something that you can look at and feel proud about, that uh, that kind of sucks. Like <laughs> part of my unemployment, doing nothing but watching television, and I can tell you there's no worse feeling on earth. Like, that is not work, and you derive no value from that. There's no sense of purpose or contribution or meaning to that at all. Uh, but put a couple of knitting needles in my hand and I have a pair of socks done at the end of the day and all of a sudden everything <laughs> looks up a little bit. Especially when you're wearing your like letters to Cleo t-shirt and uh, you haven't... <laughs> Making claymation videos. Hey, that's work. Uh, okay. We'll just leave that there, see if anybody understands what we're talking about. So could a depressed it, person make this? <laughs> so in addition to sort of my purpose, contribution, meaning, uh, there's also, uh, you know, those are things that 
you feel intrinsically, but there's, there's also, you know, these like sort of more external benefits, right? So like you're, you're, you're part of something bigger when you have a job because I mean, most people don't work alone. They're not a, they're not a one person company. They work for a company. They have other people that work with them. They're working to build some kind of larger project that they couldn't do on their own. So they end up sort of with this sense of community that, you know, makes them feel more uh, grounded in their community or grounded in their career field. So like everybody probably listening right now or anybody has a job probably has multiple friends at work. They probably met many friends at work or they met them at school if we're going to call school work. Well, I think that's part of the reason, like speaking about, for instance, stay-at-home moms don't have jobs, even though they clearly do work. Um, a lot of the, a lot of women that do that, and I guess we should include men. There's more stay-at-home dads now than probably ever before. Um, they build their own little communities uh, of support for each other. So, even though they're not going into a job, they're still creating a community of people doing the same kind of work. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely a big part of it is just getting the human interaction. Right. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're working together on something. So you're, you're building that kind of relationship with people. And then even if it's a tough job that you don't like, there's other people that job that don't like it either. So then you have like, you have this other thing that you're doing right. together with other people. So it's like, I don't know, some misery loves company type thing. Uh, and you're in it together. So it's like, it's, yeah. it's important for people to to have that. So I, I, that's probably one reason why work continues to, I don't know, be a thing that people do is because people do it together and, and we need to do projects together. That's just kind of the way we evolved. Yeah. I would say the, the value of work is sort of, it's in our, in our biology or our makeup somehow, because even if we're not going to a job 40 hours a week we find ways to work or and to build community through work it's it's a part of us as a species yeah i mean we're talking about the going back to the basic biological uh meaning of work so many other mammals i mean take a mountain lion when a mountain lion does work it works by itself (laughs) there's two mountain lions aren't working together to to uh bring down a deer but human beings actually depending on what part of the world you live in and in what circumstance, I would say almost no human being could actually live by themselves that long and survive. I mean, it's possible to do depending on your environment and what resources are available, but human beings are basically dependent on other human beings around them. That yeah, you we're can't, definitely... you almost can't feed yourself without it. I mean, there would be no, you can't hardly do agriculture by yourself. You couldn't plant enough, you know, vegetables as one person we're definitely community or family group oriented animals um that's something i want to come back to when we start getting into remote work Uh, but before we move on from like the value of work i think um in the context of like pushing to see types of work valued that aren't jobs like this whole what do you do and then if you don't have a, a an answer for that somehow you feel less than, even though we all do work of some kind. Um, this is something we talked about in the context of uh, Andrew Yang during his presidential run. He um, he talked a lot about his wife, who was a stay-at-home mom and took care of their autistic child. 
I think most people would agree that's work worth doing. But as a society, we don't compensate people for doing that kind of work. No, in a lot of ways they're penalized, especially if they take time off from their careers. um, And they take time off in their careers often early in their careers at times when you need to be building up that momentum. Right. But that kind of work doesn't just help the Yang family, right? It helps us as a society to value people that care for other people, people that care for elderly family members as they're, as they're getting old or, um, or people that, that volunteer, that pick up trash. The, um, we don't compensate people for these things. Um, and it's part of the argument behind, uh, Yang's universal basic income, uh, platform that, um, I'm not totally, hundred percent sold on the logistics of it but but in the context of of that of of uh as a society saying we value the work that you do that it is not that it is not a job i think that that's hugely beneficial yeah for sure i mean it, it's funny like especially especially raising uh kids like for stay-at-home parents i mean um the thing is, a lot of them are going to eventually go back to work at some point, like maybe after the kids are old enough to go to school. Uh, I, I've heard some interesting proposals like, um, I mean, I don't think Eric Weinstein's done a podcast in a long time, but I remember listening to him talk about this. I think he might have been talking about with Andrew Yang or um, uh, J.D. Vance or somebody like that. Um, the idea of actually giving... Um, stay-at-home parents, especially young women, they're uh, like a, a prepayout in social security benefits. Be an okay. interesting idea. I mean, if you have a kid when you're 25 and you're going to be out of the workforce until you're 30, maybe you could uh, dip into your future social security for five years and then that could help you, you know, get through that time when you're going to be losing out money for your uh, retirement benefits in the future when you go back to work. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we could go down that path on the importance yeah, I mean, of raising children to civilization. But. <laughs> right, and even if we don't financially compensate them, it's sort of on some level a little ridiculous that we don't value that. I think people think um, people that have taken time off to do that, they, they've stagnated in their experience building. But probably most parents will tell you that managing their children and their schedules is at least as challenging as managing a group of adults <laughs> going to work. Um, Depends on how old those adults are. Are they Gen Zers? No, I was joking. <laughs> um, it, it's not as though skills that help you in the professional world aren't also developed in doing that kind of work also. So I think there's a lot of reframing uh, that we could do in terms of um, the things that we value, quote unquote, soft skills are skills. I, I think that that's a pretty good that's a pretty good uh, summary there of just like what what work is for and the value of things that you know are work that's not getting paid for. I mean, and probably we do need a solution. I mean, I one of the things that changed in the pandemic is that I mean they didn't really do a UBI situation but the the checks that everybody got were i mean they weren't often enough or big enough to really be anything like a a ubi but i think you're talking about just the direct payments yeah with as many people as were not in work 
but we there, got were, a there was the massive unemployment the massive unemployment as well insurance so, benefits program that gave people I think a little bit of a taste of getting sort of being able to have a little bit of a safety net of compensation even if you're not able to go to a place of work yeah just a little aside I think I heard something one time that said that people that uh, when it came to people who volunteer the most the people who actually have full-time jobs volunteer more than people who don't have full-time jobs. It's an interesting thing. So uh, there's a there's a thing about work that builds momentum. Right. The more you get moving, the more you get going, the more likely you're going to take on more stuff. And that not working um, can build up like a bit of a an apathy, <laughs> and and, uh, and and slow down your momentum. So. I don't know, that's just interesting. I'd have to look that up to verify. But there was some study that they, they did where they just surveyed people and people that work full-time jobs do more volunteer work than people that don't, which I think is kind of weird because they actually have less time to do it. But Right. I mean, anecdotally, it seems like the more things that you do to to have routines or the more time, the more routines you have, the more, the easier it is to slot in more stuff, right? Instead of sitting on your phone scrolling for an hour, you've got a schedule to keep. So maybe you volunteer for an hour. Right. I think, I think that makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, going back to the, the subreddit, you said, what's it called? Work sucks or something? <laughs> anti-work. Oh, anti-work. Don't go there, people. It's very toxic. <laughs> it's gross. You know, uh, uh, I mean, a lot of that comes from the fact that we do have a lot of pointless jobs. Oh, for sure. Or seemingly pointless jobs or jobs that you just wonder, like, okay, why does that exist? And you could imagine an alternative reality where that type of job is not even needed, right? There, there are things that we do to, like, mitigate accidents or mitigate uh, just the negative things that people do in life. And we have to come up with a job so that we can <laughs> try to fix things that should never even have been problems to begin with. Or, or they're just... Uh, they're jobs where someone provides just for the mere, you know, mere convenience for somebody else because they don't want to do something or they can't, or I shouldn't say they can't do something. Maybe they're too lazy to do something or so, I mean, well, we've, we've seen we've, a whole industry spring out of people being too either scared of COVID or too lazy to go and get their own takeout, right? Well, <laughs> their <yeah>. own groceries, <laughs> um, the, the lengths that we will go to and pay, extra fees to not leave our house or sort of and whether whether all of that's due to the virus or just some of that laziness <laughs> i mean i know sometimes when we've done it it's it's post-vaccination so we don't really have like fear as an excuse anymore we're we're doing it because it's just like ugh, i don't want to put pants on yeah well and i mean i'm not going to say that what that person does is a pointless job but no i mean, <laughs> I, I'm like, getting more into the things where it's like jobs that you're just a you're just maybe part of a cleanup crew for something that should have never been a mess to begin with, or you're someone who's just kind of stuck in this middle management thing where your job is to herd cats. I mean, yeah, it could be like it's, it, but <laughs> so and then some people just have jobs that are there just to create work for other people, and there's also jobs where you're just. Like I said, you're just either fixing stuff that shouldn't be broken. And, and that's actually, honestly, like there's a lot of software engineer jobs like that. Okay. Where uh, it's just like the job exists because 
um, things weren't planned properly, and or you know, in your in your, I don't know. It's it's talked about it some in in the in the uh, that David David Graber's talked about it some like in that bullshit jobs book like. I, I can't, I haven't read the book. I've just like read like summaries, so I can't go over all the different categories he has, but there's like, like I said, there's people that clean up things, people that are just there to like create more work for others. And there's people that just create pointless work. And that, and oftentimes we think of those as just like the, the paper pushers. They're just the middle people that don't really accomplish much of anything. I mean, I don't, I don't know without examples um, exactly the kind of things you're talking about, but I could envision a future where we don't need traffic cops, for instance, because there's no bad drivers because people don't drive their own cars. Um, but the people in Oregon that, that pump gas. Oh, right. Or in, <laughs> okay. what was it, Pennsylvania or New Jersey? I can't remember which one we got Didn't stuck in that. into Delaware? Or Delaware, right? Yeah, one of those states. In the, the dude in, pops uh, up by the driver's side window in the dark. It scares the crap out of me at 12 a.m. because we were running out of gas. But uh, I'm thinking about like in Oregon, ostensibly these people are being paid because they are going to not, you know, it's it's more environmentally friendly to train someone how to properly pump gas so that they don't drop, spill gas on the ground or something like that and pollute the environment. We get up there and then the guy just like pulls the the handle off the pump and just like sprays gasoline all over the back of the, 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 the trunk before he even stuck it in the, That's true. into that. the, into the, uh, the fuel filler line. So I was like, this is a pointless it, job. It's also crazy and, and, to think about how many companies must exist to create things that are essentially garbage. Like companies must manufacture, for instance, egg containers. And all those are built for is for sending eggs home with you so you can throw in the garbage when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's also, there's all, there, there's a lot of um, pointless media that we consume. There's a lot, like, think about the people that just exist, like, that just make, like, the ads and stuff that pop up on these mobile games. And, like, there's just all kinds of stuff like that that exists. That's just, there's no way the person could enjoy their a job if that's what you're doing right well if they're if they're reaping any of the benefits of that ad re- well, revenue possibly <laughs> i mean probably sitting there in maniacal glee but it, i guess the other the other thing though that's important to to think about is that with all these jobs we think okay maybe that's not useful maybe it's not important maybe we wouldn't exist in another reality if we had better planning and, and each individual was more thoughtful it could it was more self-reliant the question is whether or not um Maybe it's better for people to just have some kind of a job, even if it's not a job that's like really that important. So, I mean, the alternative is what? So they're not all like all these people that are doing what could be considered pointless jobs. are not going to suddenly be inventors. They're not going to suddenly be the most skilled potential. They're not necessarily going to take up hobbies in their free time that give them the sense of purpose that going to work does. And I mean, before we go too far down this, it sounds like we're talking about others with their jobs and we're like, oh, our jobs are so important. (laughs) I don't think that we do pointless jobs. I think our jobs are important, but, and I'm not trying to like other these people like say, oh, you're going to, these other people are going to be that I certainly have done pointless jobs. Well, yeah. I mean, I was, I I spent And sometimes even in our own jobs, we do stuff that's like, okay, that was kind of pointless. Why did I do that? That happens with every job, but I'm not going to get to the point where we're trying to like prescribe what everyone else should be doing that's not right. what i'm trying to get at with this what i'm trying to say is that it could be just the reality 
that uh, people do need jobs to do, even if they're not really that important. So that has to be part of the, the discussion. Yeah, and I think um, Andrew Yang envisions a future where everybody is automated out of almost every kind of work, and UBI is necessary as like a to address like a new paradigm, a new form of society. Um, one, I don't, I don't know if that is a future that's really going to happen. I think we invent new things to do all the time. Like you said, these meaningless jobs, maybe we invent them because we need something to do. Um, and, and we'll just keep coming up with things uh, that can't be automated. That's true. It could happen. I mean, in the industry that we're in, we do both see areas where we automate things that would be somebody's job. I mean, we, I mean, that's one of the things that we try to do all the time, right? Is try to figure out a way to create a, a program that can run automatically, do something that we don't have to use human hours to work on. Yeah. Like I, I will sit and I'll spend uh, an hour coding a test that will perform a workflow that if I didn't automate it, I would and had to perform that workflow every week that eats up hours and hours and hours over the course of a release cycle right. um, cumulatively. So um, all the time we're trying to do things to, we, we spend a little time, uh, initial time, and we save a lot of time in the long run. Right. Just to tie that back to what you were saying earlier, the, the hope is is that actually what that does is free us up to do more stuff in the future, which means we probably have to hire more people to do these new projects we come up with probably. because we have more time. So it it does seem unlikely that we're going to end up in this automated hellscape, I guess, in the future. <laughs> it doesn't give me a lot of hope uh, that people will find quote-unquote work to do. If, if that future comes where everything is automated and people don't have jobs... I do fear with some of the anti-work sentiment that I see that people will just relish being able to watch TV all day. And as much fun as that sounds like it would be to just sit around and be a sloth, um, I think what, it can be hugely de- detrimental to our uh, mental health. And Just for fun, though, imagine we do get to some kind of point like that where it's like, imagine 60% of the jobs were automated. That'd be a huge number. Right. Uh, and so 40% of the population still has to work. How, uh, how do you keep those 40% from wanting to just quit their jobs and be part of the 60% that's not working? Because you're talking about sitting around watching TV all day. Like somebody still has to, <laughs> has to create that content. So how do you, I, how I do, do you think... incentivize then those people to, to not just become consumers and still be producers? I do think that when we talk about the value of work, people do like working. I mean, um, and would choose to even if they did not have to. So, I, I mean, I think Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos could say, I'm done tomorrow and never work again, but neither one of them does. No, if they actually went broke tomorrow, they would still work just as hard to try to build it back. Right. That's just the type of people they are. Yeah, so, and it's not to lionize them or anything, I but they're, they're wealthy enough that they could never work a day in their lives again. And whether or not you want to categorize the kind of things that they do as work, I'm sure that they are 
even when they're not quote unquote on the clock, their brains are trying to figure out new ways to, to solve this problem or address that or optimize this or grow this portion of their business. So yeah, they don't, they don't stop working just because they can. So because even people that have meaningful jobs end up doing a lot of pointless work, it seems like we can still all agree then that maybe we're working too much or we're putting in too many hours and not doing enough with those hours. I do think, especially in the U.S., we see this culture of, of you got to work, you got to hustle, you got to have a side hustle, you got to, um, you got to be the one, the first one there and the last one to leave because that's how you prove that you're valuable. I mean, that, that idea is kind of dying out a little bit. A little bit, but it's kind of, I mean, rightfully so, because it is kind of like a toxic part of American culture. Yeah, this idea of just like having butts and seats is like equal to work. And that's not always the case. I mean, if you really break down how much work people are doing a day, probably your average person is going to work for eight hours. And then they're, they're, not, they're not working a full eight hours nonstop. There's talking to your coworkers and there's checking your messages and there's making that appointment you had to make. Like, And then there's lunch breaks and then there's bathroom, bathroom breaks, breaks and coffee breaks and distractions here, distractions there. So no one's working a full eight hours like grinding it out every day like there's always a little bit of stoppage time and maybe the idea is that you could if you could consolidate all that time you actually work into a smaller amount of time maybe we don't need to work a full 40 50 hours a week or something like that maybe you don't have to work a full five uh, day work week maybe you could do a four day work week maybe you could do a three i mean i think that's a little bit what you see in some sectors of the tech uh industry is people moving towards like a system of unlimited vacation although um the downsides to that you hear people um basically saying well yes it is unlimited in theory but at the same time you feel like you can't take any because you know how do you know what's normal how do you know what's too much how do you know yeah so it's just it needs to come down to stronger more you know clearer expectations for people and and what their job entails. So the ideas should not be the number of hours you need to work. It should be, what is the thing that I need to get done? And if the things you have to get done end up totaling up to 40 hours a week, so be it. But if you have three tasks that really need to be done this week and you get them done in four days or three and a half days, and you could just hustle and get it all done very efficiently, like, you know, (laughs) imagine yourself as like a contractor right i mean if if i'm gonna re-roof somebody's house like the person's not expecting me to come there and like be there like 40 hours a week and i gotta sit on the roof if I, if there's not if i'm waiting on something like yeah they just expect their work no, to get done yeah you get paid by the job and so um i mean there's a lot of sectors of the economy that is going towards contract and gig work where you actually get paid for the thing that you do not necessarily the amount of time it takes you to do it so we might end up seeing more of that even in traditional roles where we're working a set number of hours. Maybe it, it flexes to this unlimited vacation thing, unlimited in the idea that as soon as you get your tasks done, you can take off work. Yeah, I, I mean, from personal experience in my position, I am somebody that's paid hourly, um, which is a, a huge perk and I like it. Um, but I also see my role as never really being done. So yeah, there is stuff that I have to complete 
by deadlines, but there's also so much that that you're just always catching up on that there's almost limitless work that I could do if I wanted to work more than 40 hours a week. Right. Um, I did that a lot during the last year work from home because it's like, I can't go out. What else am I going to do? I guess I'll work 55 hours this week, yeah. which is too much. And I know people work even longer, more hours than that. When I, my previous job, um, but right before I got hired, I found out they had all been working 70 hour weeks, which I was lied to. <laughs> I interviewed with them. Um, I think a bigger thing I would say is that we as a society need to, um, be better at, uh, taking time off work and not, and, and saying like, you look at, you look at a place like France where, or I mean, in a lot of European countries and places like Australia, everybody gets six weeks of vacation a year, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, those places also have better parental leave. Canada gives you a full year off (laughs) for parental leave. Yeah. Um, we need to respect that human beings probably need a certain amount of time off to be good at the work that they do. The longer hours you work and the more you work, like speaking from my experience of overworking um, in 2020, you just become so burnt out. You're not as good at what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, think of the, the, the cost of the company of, of worker burnout. So, I mean, if you work for years with no vacation and you get burned out and decide to change jobs, now you got to train somebody up and you got to find a person to replace them. And you're going to waste weeks and months of time retraining somebody to do that. And you could have just given that person like a few more <laughs> weeks of vacation off yeah. and it probably would have been worth it in the long run. Yeah. Sometimes people just need a, need a break. Um, I, I guess I don't know how, how far down the, like, I, I do think progress is being made on, on companies trying to be more, more supportive of work-life balance and, not wanting people to work 80 hour weeks and so on. Um, I, I don't know that there's too much more to be said on that, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot we could go into. I mean, all the different studies on health and well being and productivity from shorter work weeks or vacation, but we're not really, I'm not really up to date on all the right. Let's latest. just say that's probably all good. We just we, know we want more time off. That's all. I guess part of why we, uh, thought that this would be a topic that was timely um, is because of the pandemic and how the pandemic has changed work um, in some ways temporarily and in some ways permanently. Or at least, yeah, permanently and in other ways we think are probably going to be permanent changes. Yeah, or things that we still haven't seen quite how it's going to play out yet, but it will likely... um, mean something for the future yeah. of work. I mean, the probably the, the two things that we've talked about the most that we think are going to be the, I don't know, the fallout from all of this is uh, changes in compensation. Right. Uh, and also, of course, the big topic that everyone talks about and is on every other LinkedIn article is remote work. Right. Before we move into that, I, I think um, it's worth pointing out that there were really kind of three categories of workers um, during the pandemic. Um, you had people that were considered essential workers that had to go to work 
the whole time. So People they, that had to be in person they doing their work. They weren't sheltering in place. They had to go to the grocery store or the hospital every day and work as though nothing had changed. Um, so the, the essential workers, one. Two, the remote workers. So if you weren't essential and you didn't have to be there in person, they figured out a way to make you remote. You could have an essential job that you'd work outside the office. Yeah, I guess I mean essential in the in terms of you had to be at work okay, as though nothing yeah. had changed. Um, and then people that, I mean, even for instance, like when people talk about essential workers, they're not necessarily talking about construction workers, but those people were still working in person. I think they were considered essential in a lot of places. I mean, they were allowed to keep working. So, um, in that category and then, so essential workers, remote workers and the unemployed, Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of people whose jobs, uh, really couldn't couldn't be done remote. Um, but weren't considered in the group of people that was allowed to keep working and or businesses went under or... Um, We're thinking things like a lot of service industry workers. I mean, California, they shut down so many restaurants. They shut down right. non-essential. But I mean, comic book stores were not essential, right? Yeah, All I think the... it wasn't very long before they kind of allowed retail to be considered essential. And then other parts of the world in Europe, they cracked down even more on... right. It's just cracked down, but they, well, they were more... Well, okay, for instance, well, I guess... I mean, there were all kinds of non-essential shops that were closed. Well, were think about not... daycare workers, for instance. Um, I mean, daycare is an essential thing, but we deemed that it was not safe. So yeah. So we closed down daycares, schools. And kids were home. I mean, teachers stayed employed. They became remote workers. They did. Remote essential. Yeah. So, yeah, I think what I'm saying essential, I don't mean to imply that other people's jobs are not critical or important i just mean people had jobs that were essential to be done in person and people had jobs that were um, easy to switch to remote Uh, both of us are fortunately in a field that is pretty easy to be done remotely Mm -hmm. um, with the right tools although um, speaking for myself i do think you lose some things when you're not in person maybe we want to talk a little bit about the, the wages and the the wages and unemployment and sort of the the financial side that you brought up yeah. before we dig into like the remote stuff which I think is the more complicated I think a lot of people probably have the same experience where they're you know driving past some fast food restaurants that they are used to seeing and there's just help wanted signs everywhere and more and more seeing uh, something I've never seen before, which is where they actually put the, the, like the starting wages and stuff like on the signs out in front of the stores. So, you know, we were driving by Panda Express the other day and it said, uh, line cooks $17 an hour, 19, maybe which it's up to that. Now it was started off even lower and then, is you know, drive by blowing. Wendy's, it says, you know, $15 an hour plus signing bonus. And I mean, okay. Yeah. These people, do a lot of work for these companies that make a lot of money and we're a nation that wants to eat fast food all the time. So they, I mean, they definitely have some bargaining power because it's something that people want and it's something that people are, you know, willing to pay for. I mean, uh, for years, but just we 10 saw... years ago, these same jobs would be $8 an hour. I know for years, we saw five years ago, $12 an hour or maybe 12 <laughs> You know, all the way up until just a, a year ago. In California, maybe, because I think that they raised the minimum wage to $10 here. 
Um, but, but you saw Bernie Sanders pl- like re- campaigning on a plan to try to unionize fast food workers. And now without unionization, they have enough bargaining power to get $15 an hour plus wages because of this so, so-called so labor shortage. But really what happened was so many people were on unemployment that was allowing them to get by that for the first time they had the the freedom of, of choice to turn things down that weren't going to be enough money. Yeah, the unemployment itself ended up being a bargaining chip because right. these uh, businesses needed workers so bad after people... Why am I going to go back to work if I literally can't make as much as I can if I stay home? Right. So, I mean, I, I saw the downside of that a little bit too with, um, with my dad was uh, working and um, he was an employer of people and um, he, uh, when his business was forced to close, um, it, w- it was closed and then everybody was getting unemployment. And so when he was allowed to reopen, he tried to get people to come back and they said, even though they would be making more money if they came back, the money that they were making on unemployment was enough that they said, uh, sorry, we'd rather take a vacation now. Stuff's opening up again and I'm going to take that next month of time and I'm going to travel. So tough. Right. So that's unfortunate too, to see it from that side. It's, it's not as though, it's not even as though they were making, that they would make less if they came back. They still wouldn't be making more, but they were making just enough that it was like, well, this is a vacation. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Right. So that's going to, that's going to be interesting to see if this can hold up. I mean, I, I don't know what the state of the unemployment benefits are right now. We probably should have looked that up before. We yeah, recorded. we probably should have, but I know that I think a lot of it was running peak. out in September. A lot of it was running out now. Uh, I think it might also depend on what industry you're still in. Right. But, um, I think that these, uh, wages are going to be here to stay. So it's, it's going to, it, I mean, the food prices we've seen have gone up. A lot of stuff has gone up. I don't know if it's all about increase in wages. Well, a lot of it's just people are buying a lot of stuff now, and and there's there's short supply, so you know that makes things go up. You know, COVID supply chain. So there's a lot of stuff going on there around the wages and and consumer prices that it's really complicated. I don't know how much of that it's we also talk about. interesting to think about. I mean, nineteen dollars an hour has to be almost double what people were maybe making in some states uh, prior to this. I know my wage hasn't seen a, no. a doubling in the last year. So we're seeing kind of a, a gap closing between the, the lowest paid and the and then the well-paid skilled workers. Right. I don't consider myself not well-paid. Um, but it is interesting to see um, it, certain things inflate. The cost of living has gone way, way up. Um, even for those of us that own homes, like you said, grocery prices, food energy prices, prices have gone up. Yeah. energy prices, um, uh, gas prices, Durable car goods. prices, like everything is going up. And uh, uh, at least our incomes are not increasing at the exponential rate of, of, of hourly um, service industry workers. Right. So it's there's either the there's just two ways of looking at it. Then like it's it's rising too fast or it's getting up to where it should have been maybe possibly even before. Yeah, I, because I think really when you think about it, like if, if you charge probably eleven more cents for a Big Mac, I'm sure they that would easily more than offset 
doubling the wages probably of all the employees like at McDonald's. I mean, it's like, it's that's, it's, we're talking about pennies. Right. I mean, but it does get, but there, but McDonald's is, says there's a certain amount of profit we need to make. So if that's going to happen, then we're going to raise the prices and, it, and then it just, it trickles or propagates throughout the economy. I also think the other factor to consider is not just that unemployment gave people bargaining power, but working conditions became, um, pretty bad in a lot of places. I mean, there was that Burger King and I forget where it was, but like they didn't have air conditioning for like two weeks in the middle of summer. And then it got up to over 130 degrees, like in the cooking area in the kitchen. And, and eventually they just said, we're just going to walk out of here. So the Burger King just closed because no one would go in there work. And it's like, well, that's good. (laughs) It should be closed. If you can't even put air conditioning in the kitchen in the, one of the largest fast food chains in the world. And you read, you read stories, we read stories every week during the pandemic where you read about these minimum wage service workers dealing with people being belligerent, not wanting to wear masks, people spitting on people in grocery stores, uh, people becoming violent. I think there was a footlocker in Chicago where two women killed a, a, an employee for asking them to put a mask on. They stabbed him to death. Like you're asking these people that are barely being compensated fairly enough in the the world before COVID uh, to now become the mask police and and deal with people who've reached an all time fever pitch of just general animosity and antisocialness. It, it if you're gonna ask that much of people, then this certainly they they deserve uh, a compensation bump. Yeah. I agree. So the big thing um, I think that we wanted to talk about as well, um, partly because uh, of the three groups, the essential, the remote, and the unemployed, uh, this is the group that we fall into, is the, the remote workers. So that's um, some some a topic that we wanted to spend some time on. So yeah, we wanted to talk a little bit about our experiences with remote work, um, some of the positives of remote work, some of the negatives of remote work, and uh, sort of... Who it could work for and who it might not be able to. Yeah, and then questions about what it means for the future of work. Um, I guess, uh, let's start with the good. Well, do you want to lead off with your experience, maybe? Right, I think... And then, just, sure. just briefly, what it's like for us working remotely. Yeah, okay, so... My first experience working remote was actually pre-pandemic. So in 2017, we moved uh, back east to Washington, D.C., and John was working uh, out there. Um, He had an opportunity there, and I requested with my company that I be able to work remote from there. So my company has an office there. Uh, I technically was in the office uh, most days, but I was working on the same team that I always worked on. So I was remote from my team. Um, For me, that experience was not great. Um, But I think a big part of it was my team was an in-person team and that was how they were built and we didn't have a lot of strategies or technologies to like certainly nothing like has blossomed and bloomed over the course of the pandemic with with zoom and teams becoming hugely adapted to um help with these kinds of of 
things. But also I was the only person in a different time zone. So I was kind of stretching myself into a, a working on a California time zone on the East Coast. Um, uh, in fact, I, I disliked it so much that I left the company for a short time and then we figured out a way for me to work back to <laughs> move back to California so I wouldn't have to work remote. And I had a whole four months in the office before the pandemic hit. Um, and I will say that, so we went remote, I think on March 13th. Um, we've been remote ever since. Uh, my experience this time has been, it's actually been a lot, a lot better work-wise because everybody on the team is pretty much in the same time zone. And then with everybody being remote, um, you sort of see equal effort being put in to making remote work. Um, I'm not missing out on conversations that are happening in the hallway and I'm not there. It's a totally different experience with a fully distributed team than it is with one person being in a different physical location while everybody else can sort of, um, walk by somebody's office and ask a question and that gets answered and then you are out of the loop. Uh, maybe just a little interjection there. Sure. Uh, well, I can talk about my experience, but in general, Actually, with the remote stuff, there's a lot more side conversations, I think, going on than there would be in the office. There may be one-on-one. Because it's so much easier just to direct message someone and talk about things and nobody else on the team knows about it. Unless you're posting it in the team channel. I think maybe one-on-one, that's true. But, like, I guess what I'm talking about is sometimes there would be, like, oh, a design question. A dev has a design question. So, really fast, let's just gather the three of us here in the hallway. What do you guys think? Uh... Well, let's mock it up on the whiteboard. Um, oh, yeah, 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 that sounds good. Nobody wants to stop a conversation that's happening uh, kind of dynamically and organically like that and say, you know what, we should really uh, open up Skype and get Krista on the phone uh, to be involved in this conversation. It's it because it takes longer to even do to even suggest that than it does to just work out the problem. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, the with the uh, online communication only and, and messaging, things are more uh, to the point, and you're going to talk directly to the person that you need all the time. It's not like anything or, more organically comes up. Yeah. If someone walks by to ask a question, like, you know someone's talking to somebody at least. And if you can maybe overhear them, you can contribute. They can say, come over and talk about this. Yeah, doesn't that happen doesn't as happen much. remote. Um, yeah, there's no opportunity to sort of, like, insert yourself <laughs> into something that's happening and be like, hey, I actually have something to contribute here. Yeah. Um, Sorry. But I, but I will say, it, given the choice of being the only person not in person on a team or being on a team that's fully distributed, fully distributed is... is a lot better. It, it's a lot more egalitarian. Um, anyway, that's been my experience. My, uh, I'm a total extrovert, so not being in the office and not seeing people and not being able to collaborate and not being able to socialize has just been kind of mentally exhausting to me. Um, I've been like eagerly awaiting ever since the vaccine, the day that we go back to the office and we are going back now, uh, barring any other, I guess, scary variants we're going back on january 4th so i'm I'm pretty excited about that and i guess uh john your experience is a little different since you've only worked remote pretty much for this company yeah the the other thing that sort of got me prepared for it was you know doing the online computer science program for a few years beforehand so in fact 
working um, on any software engineering projects for me has always been in a way remote, never worked in office with anybody. Uh, yeah, it's been maybe a little more difficult coming in, not knowing anyone beforehand, whereas you've had years to build up relationships with people yeah. in person before making the switch. I've only seen, I think, about four people of the 16 on my team in person, just with the few times that I've had to go into the office, and happen, they happen to be there at the same time. So we've all been fully remote for the most part. There is some workspaces that people can go into if they want to, but it's not too comfortable right now, especially with all the construction going on at the building. And the team has grown so large that there actually isn't enough physical space for everyone to sit by each other. <laughs> we all came in at the same time anyway. Um, yeah, so I mean, there there's good and bad things about it so far. Uh, it is definitely um, nice working from home and just being able to, you know, get up and go to your own kitchen, get snacks, just, you know, not have to have, you know, shared spaces where people <laughs> run into collisions, I guess, like kitchens and bathrooms and things like that. But uh, we never collide in the kitchen or the bathroom. <laughs> well, <laughs> we do have two bathrooms, so rarely do we collide over yeah it's uh you can make your space a lot more comfortable if you if you have the ability to do that so like i've got a really nice setup i think at home with you know widescreen monitor and comfy chair and wireless peripherals and everything um but uh what's funny is that i've always considered myself someone who believed that they didn't need a lot of interaction with people and uh and I'm definitely someone who can work for long periods of time by myself on projects and not really need to talk to anyone else. But what this experience has, uh, you know, uh, I guess you could say like you revealed to me is that I actually am a lot more of a people person than I thought I was before. <laughs> so I'm actually really uh, wanting to at least have some time back in the office as soon as possible. Hopefully at the beginning of the year also we'll be going back a couple days a week, which I think will be good for me. Like I would rather have a hybrid approach where I get to stay home most of the time. But then, well, especially you, you would have a little bit of a commute. So yeah, which, um, I live really close to the office here. But I, I, I think that overall things would be a lot, the, the experience would be a lot better if we could at least have some time yeah. in person. I, speaking of learning that you're more of a people person, I think even the least people person-y people I know have discovered that some human contact is is a good thing um i yeah it, it, and it's not just with work you know all the stuff we talked about with the pandemic it's it's really become we're at the point now where you could live your life without seeing another person if you wanted to right. you could you could have everything delivered you could work from home and there's almost no reason to ever even talk to another person again in person if you really wanted to live that life and that's uh it's but the thing is i i do think i know people that at least purport to want to live that life. And it's kind of mind boggling to me. I, I feel like even people that believe that they want to live that way, <laughs> I think they're like deluding themselves. <laughs> that that could just be a little bit of my bias, but I, I, I kind of feel like some of the, some of the crazy ways people have been acting in the last two years has to be a little bit because we're not getting to engage in community and as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast we're community creatures like yeah yeah i think we should talk a little bit about our predictions on what it'll be like going forward maybe closer to the end but we could i think we should drill down a little bit into the like um, the specific goods good and bad cons. things about remote work yeah 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I know to look online at the articles that are being written and to look at Reddit and to look at um, social media and to talk to people I know uh, that have that are in fields where they can work remote. To me, it seems like overwhelmingly the sentiment is remote work is great. Remote work is what I want. Please don't make me ever go back to the office. Um, so to me, that says for a lot of people that it's it's a lot a lot of positives. Um, people are saving on time for commuting. They're saving on gas. They're able to move and live somewhere not close to where they want to work if if they don't want to live in the same city where their dream job happens to be. Um, yeah, it opens up opportunities to live in a cheaper place if you want to and still... Or we can talk a, about that later, but whether or not you're going to make the same amount of money, uh, or live in a more even in, even in a more expensive place, but a place that you really enjoy, like. yeah. as opposed to being stuck in some area that's um, really tied like your jobs there, but yeah. you don't love that city, or you don't you want to live by the beach, you don't or you want to live in the mountains, or you want to mm-hmm. whatever people's preference is. Um, it also um, we know some people or one of my ex-co-workers um, has really seized the opportunity to kind of travel all over and work remotely from Costa Rica for a month and then work remotely from San Francisco for a month and then work remotely from Virginia for a month. Like, um, you don't even have to, the, the modern way of doing things, you don't even have to be tied to one place. Right. Um, I see people People talk, have been able to move back in with family or stay with family and see family more, friends. Um, yeah, I people talking about um, getting to see their kids more. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were at home. Well, yeah, but if instead you instead of going say, to school, but yeah, let's say you have an hour commute, yeah, that and then you work eight hours away. That's ten hours a day that you're not at home, and your kids aren't in school ten hours. So even with your kids in school, you see them more if you're um, working remotely. Um, maybe you're saving on some childcare expenses by being home. Uh, yeah, a lot of people too. I mean, we're talking about the downtime that you have at your jobs. Um, you know, rather than spending that time, you know, going to the, uh, break room or, you know, walking with people off to get coffee or something off, you know, side or whatever. I mean, technically you can just jump up for two minutes and like throw some clothes in the laundry or, yeah. Or, uh, you know, do some little thing around the house that you would do while you've got, you know, something running at work and you're not needed right at that moment that would that save buys you... you time on the weekend or in the evenings to yeah. do the things that you want to do. Um, yeah. so I think it's, I think it comes down to a lot, a lot of, uh, time saving is really what it's come down to. People That's have been able thing. to spend time, time doing other things. And choice to like freedom of choice to live where, where you want to live or yeah. how you want to live. Um, I think, uh, I think some people don't like being around people. So being around people less is, uh, a positive for some people. Mm-hmm. Like that's not me, but some um, people's home, I mean, it could be the opposite. Your home work environment could be worse than your work environment, but for a lot of people, their home work environment is better. Yeah. You I, could imagine a lot of jobs where you're working Maybe just in big shared spaces with no privacy. And, you know, maybe it's nicer to sit at your home and, yeah, maybe you can sit on the porch. Yeah. And sit outside and work or 
you know, you have a nice office space you like to work in. It's quieter, more comfortable. So that's that's definitely true for a lot of people. I also think there, while um, for a lot of jobs, and I think including ours, collaboration is really kind of, if not totally vital to, to success, it's at least helpful. Um, but for a lot of people, they're going into an, an office just to sit in their cubicle and not interact with anybody anyway. Um, people that are doing medical coding or tech support over the phone, they're not going in and collaborating with coworkers. They're doing stuff that they can do literally just as easily from home. Mm-hmm. Um, so those time and money savers become even bigger deals when it's when there's not any benefit to them going into the office. I think uh, to segue kind of into some of the negatives, uh, one thing that we um, have talked about is um, the we're really lucky that we have a a big place with separate I mean, a offices. normal sized house. Well, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> no roommates. Uh, yeah, uh, it's just the two of us, and we each have a dedicated office space where we can set up and work. Um, without any interruption if we want so um and and other than the dogs (laughs) the dogs who mostly are quiet if they if we're shut up in our offices but right but we have from the we have offices i mean you know 100 plus square feet 150 square feet of space that we can just that's just our own great ergonomic chairs he's got a, a really nice investment level chair (laughs) <laughs> um but uh for people that are that i mean and this is a thing we talked about the benefits of being around your kids all the time if people don't have enough space and their kids are there all the time they can't get anything done because there's there's noise all the time or their space they don't have enough space to be separated yeah, you could from be people. living in a small apartment and it's actually nice to go to work because you have more space it could be uh, uh you could be living with roommates yeah, I have a friend uh, that during you, the entire pandemic has been working basically at a table in the kitchen and her daughter's been home with her the whole time. And I mean, there's no way for her to get away from noise or, or distraction. Um, she doesn't have a good ergonomic setup, so her back's killing her. Like, these are just um, people that have... It, it just it comes down to a little bit to um, economics. <laughs> like Yeah, it does. And just... Yeah, just the cho- like, I mean, you could imagine there's some people doing remote work that actually had really low paying jobs beforehand. Right. And they I mean, just we talk about, afford... for instance, technical support, and they may have studio apartments or something, and they don't have a nice workspace. That's right. So there's like a real element of privilege. If you're privileged enough to have enough space, and if you're privileged enough to be able to keep uh, <laughs> your space quiet, then yes, there's a lot of benefit to. Um, remote work but not everybody has that um, is fortunate enough to have that so um, it it starts to um, especially during the pandemic when everybody's forced to be remote some people are at a real disadvantage some people have an edge over um, others Mm -hmm. Um, and speaking of that one of the things that I've read a couple of times since the pandemic is uh, started is the the disadvantages that women have when compared to men. So um, under normal circumstances, women take on more of the household chores and child rearing duties um, with the kids home all the time and everybody home all the time. That has stayed true. So even when both parties are working 
full time, you then see women having to take on even more of a full time lion's share of household responsibilities and women have resigned from jobs at a much higher rate during the pandemic than men have. Yeah, I've heard some uh, I've heard people talk about this before. We're going to expect to see some of the increases in women's wages and and uh, their upward mobility in the workforce kind of be set back from this because a lot because the probability that a woman quits her job during the pandemic was a lot higher than if a man quit his job. And so we're going to see. And and not only that, but um, there is an article I read that um, indicated that um, uh, in terms of people that will decide to stay remote afterwards because women are more likely to be uh, to see the advantages of being able to throw a load of laundry in in between meetings or be there for the kids when they get off school, more women are likely to stay remote uh, even as companies are giving people the option to come back or stay remote. And uh, there's already some evidence that men um, get promoted more a little bit because of social networking and, and things within the office and um, right. schmoozing and so on. And so women are already at a disadvantage there. And then by removing themselves from the office, they're at an even greater disadvantage there. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, we could talk about that a little bit, but I, I do think we're going to see splits both at, at a, like a company industry level and splits uh, within teams that work at the same companies where there are going to be people that are going to be in the office going forward and people that are not. And I think there's going to be a pretty large disconnect between the people that are going to be working together in per- person in the office versus the people that are on their same team that may be working remotely. And I think that we're also going to see some differential levels of success between companies that have fully remote, hybrid, and uh, fully in-person. Yeah, I mean, my uh, experience speaks to that a little bit, where I was the only remote person on the team, I was at a disadvantage. Um, If a third of the team is remote, that it's likely that that whole third of the team will feel some of those disadvantages. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of getting into predictions of what we think it'll be like, but (laughs) but keeping along those lines of other things that are going on is that, um, I mean, we've seen an increase in our energy costs because we're staying at home. We're keeping the thermostat at a more comfortable level that would be in the summertime. It would be higher in the wintertime. It would be lower while we're away. Uh, we're using more water. We're using a lot more electricity because we're running multiple computers every day now at home, which take up a lot of energy. We've got, we need to make sure we have the best internet possible because, um, our, our jobs depend on our bandwidth. We have to, we, we probably <laughs> invested more in a chair than we would have if we were only using it an hour or two a day versus eight or nine hours a day. Yeah. I've, I've upgraded, uh, peripherals, keyboards, mouse, uh, you know, screens, uh, added lights where they're needed. Yeah. Uh, we use more toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, uh, everybody is actually, yeah. I mean, think about all the people that, used to go to work and use the bathroom multiple times a day right drink from the water fountain i mean we use that sewage sewage and water our sewage and water bill has gone up Um, my office has free coffee i didn't have to make coffee at home when i was going to the (laughs) office yeah same here uh Um, the the other our air conditioning repair we had a situation where when we switched over to the heater for the winter last winter it wasn't working and we had a repairman out and our AC had kind of flooded one of the ducts and um, the repairman said 
that he saw, he had never seen, he'd only ever seen that happen one time and he had fixed what, four or five? Multiple, yeah, this that, year. In 2020, because people are using their ACs so much more that they're over, over using them and this, this sort of flooding is happening. <laughs> um, we were lucky that we just had to pay the, the, the standard base fee for him to come out and he yeah. drain that water for us for yeah, free. Yeah, it was but... pretty easy to fix. Yeah, so uh, there's there's trade-offs. People that weren't spending much money on commuting are probably spending more money now because they're working from home uh, on things like utilities, like we just talked about, and extra things that you would have around the office. Uh, so that's something to think about. I think also we talked about the differences between people working in the same jobs remotely, um, the difference that it makes to have a bigger house or a smaller family or better uh, desk and chair and so on. Um, there's also a real delineation between the groups that are able to work remote, that are privileged enough to have jobs where remote work is possible versus people who are in that quote unquote essential category. And there's a real divide um, on Your those blue lines. Blue collar, white collar type. Blue collar versus divide. white collar. Um, and I think that has the potential to sort of deepen the divides between those two groups and, and there's political things at play there too. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I had to guess right now, I mean, I don't think that, I mean, I would, I would bet money that most people, that there are more people working remotely who are politically left leaning than there are politically right leaning. And there are more people working in person that are politically right leaning I would guess that too, and part of that just goes demographically, like a lot of the remote workers are tech workers. We hear a lot about how big tech is the like li- most liberal uh, group in the country, and but then a lot have... of the in-person is going to be like your construction workers, your cops, your prison guards. Um, but a lot of media and entertainment is also remote, um, and uh, a lot coming of... Coming to you live from California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that's actually going to cause problems too. And then, yeah, because it is, it is a privileged position to, to even have the opportunity to work remotely. And then, yeah, you you have a position where you can either work in an office or outside or wherever it is, or you can work in your home. Like that's something that has never been possible, really existed for. I mean, there've been some jobs that have been sort of remote. I don't want to talk shit, but there's nothing whinier sounding than, I'm going to quit my job if you make me come back to the office. Like the entitlement that people have honestly just rubs me the wrong way. I, they absolutely can and should go work somewhere else if their priority is to um, be remote and the company they work for is not going to support that. But this, this whole idea of trying to sort of blackmail companies into giving them what they want just, um, Sorry to kind of go off on a tangent, but I've seen a lot of that, um, as, especially as um, at my job we're transitioning into going back. There's been a lot of um, drama of people that um, sort of want to leverage. Uh, I, I guess it's the same kind of thing with, with fast food workers leveraging um, the current situation to get something that they want. People also see that in this sector. We see people trying to leverage um, what they see as their irreplaceability um, to get remote work. And uh, But I guess going back to cost, um, you sort of alluded to this, but 
Google, for instance, has announced that it, for workers that choose to stay remote and move to lower cost of living areas, they're going to actually adjust salary for those workers because why, why should they pay Bay Area salaries to somebody who chooses to live in North Dakota? Right. Yeah, I think, and, you know, we've seen too, lots of polls have said that, you know, a majority of, of people who are working remotely now are almost willing to take like 7% pay cuts or something like that in order to stay remote. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, if, I guess you just have to weigh like how much your remote work is worth to you. If it's worth, I mean, that's a big pay cut. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but what's, what I'm worried that's going to happen is that, this type of behavior is actually going to just lower wages in general. So it's going to, it's going to, it, a lot of the bargaining power that people have is because of cost of living. So, and the, the fact that some companies operate out of expensive or, you know, uh, places to live in like big cities like San Francisco or New York, that actually is kind of a thing that like lifts all boats because if, this, if there are people, the average salary of a software engineer, because a lot of those companies exist in the Bay Area or New York, is X. Yeah, it puts pressure on other companies to raise their to wages as well to be yeah. competitive to get these people. So, uh, what's I, I'm afraid that it's going to lead to a wage depression in a lot of jobs where uh, people are able to work remotely. I mean, that's going to be a predict. That's prediction number one, I guess. <laughs> is I, I think we're going to see wage depression because. Uh, we're going to lose that cost of living uh, increase that actually becomes a bargaining chip for for people when they're trying to get their jobs. Right, and I I can see both sides of the argument about paying people less when they move. Um, people want to people say, "Well, I'm still doing the same work, therefore I'm worth the same thing I've always been worth." But is your work worth as much if you're not in person to collaborate and? And uh, do for the some of jobs that, probably. Well, yeah, but I mean, for instance, Google software engineers working on a team. I I don't know if that's true. Um, if I do think some teams are really good about this, their cameras are always on. Um, we we've read listened to. Uh, I think it's um, Automatic is a fully distributed company. And the founder of that was on um, Sam Harris's Waking Up podcast and talked a, bit, a little bit about the things that they do uh, to make themselves available all the time that they're online. You can basically, you don't necessarily even have to call someone. People are sort of always connected. Right. Um, these things to sort of simulate an in-person uh, environment. I think if you do all of those things, then, then you're getting closer to it being the same thing. But um, on a team that that doesn't take advantage of the technological uh, capabilities that we have for asynchronous versus synchronous communication uh, for video conferencing um, for using tools that are available for virtual whiteboarding. Um, if you're not making use of all of those tools, then, then remote work it really does put some people at a disadvantage also. Yeah. You know, along the lines of the companies paying, paying less, I mean, in a lot of ways, too, I mean, there there are some costs that they have to pay in order to get the infrastructure in place for people to work remotely, but at the same time, they're going. These companies are going to save money, and they don't have to rent office space. They don't have to have buildings. Sure. They don't have to have furnishings. They don't have to pay for 
It also I mean, think a, of like all the insurance that you don't have to keep anymore because you don't have people working in your building. It, uh, it for, offloads a certain amount of cost onto the employee. Like it does. The, some of the things that we just talked about, like like office furniture and energy costs. Uh, we are fortunate. My company offers reimbursement for some um, office furniture, and and John's company offers some internet reimbursement. Uh, but that's not true across the board. Um, some companies are, are not only saying we can save money by not operating the this building and we can save money <laughs> because now they're taking on this cost for us and we're, now we can pay them less because they moved to North Dakota. Right. So if people are, you know, this moving away, well, you say North Dakota, I don't think a lot of people from New York are deciding to move to North Dakota. No, I don't know. I don't know where they're people moving. people from Los Angeles are picking up and moving to Fargo. But No, I always hear people saying, uh, if I don't have to work here, then I can live where it's cheaper. And they talk about the Midwest. None of these people want to move to Kansas. I know they don't. That's not happening. Uh, everybody that I know that has moved during the pandemic has moved somewhere more expensive than where they were living before. <laughs> I I don't know anybody that's working remote that moves somewhere cheaper, with the exception of maybe, I guess we could count your our sister-in-law. Yeah, that's, that's true. So with people, I mean, we, we do know that people are picking up and moving, though, and they're staying remote. I, I don't remember what the numbers were, but it's something like, at some point in the height of the pandemic, uh, 20% of the workforce or something was, was working remotely, something like that. I, I could be, I could be totally off on that, but it's, it's a huge number. Um, and I, we could make more predictions. So the first prediction was that we think wages are going to go down, which I think they will along the lines of that. I think that if we're going to make a, a corollary prediction that, uh, what companies will see is that if you can do your work remotely anywhere, then that means maybe anyone anywhere could do that work potentially. And then okay, I think so we're going to see the, a lot more outsourcing of, of uh, jobs. Yeah, what's the incentive to pay American cost standard of living wages when you can pay somebody to do the same thing, literally the same thing because it's remote anyway, yeah. um, from another country where they will accept a lower salary yeah so that's going to just be a i think it's i think so the prediction to go along with the wages is that we will see that decrease and and it's going to be a overall net negative especially for the the uh the white collar workers in the united states or people that can and not just white collar workers even people that are doing low skill uh remote jobs those are going to be outsourced there's yeah. no reason to not do it uh you, you talked a little bit about, uh, you mentioned before, um, if people are moving out of cities into either r more rural yeah. or more suburban areas, we'll see some of those areas um, start to economically prosper as cities sort of flounder a little bit. I mean, we've already seen that a little bit in the Bay Area when everybody went remote. Um, you, you, you read things on the news about how San Francisco is, is like... <laughs> A little bit of a wasteland. The homelessness is out of control. There's everybody that works there has has left. Um, there's there's sort of generally a f flight of people out of California into other states, but um, the Bay Area seems to have been hit the hardest with that. And as a result, they've got some economic issues and some homelessness issues and urban decay. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a nice third prediction is I think we will see deterioration of cities. Uh, 
you really, I think in the last few decades, cities have become more attractive to people. I mean, if you think about like in the seventies and eighties, when cities had a bad reputation, I mean, there's a lot of crime. There you was couldn't get a very big place to live. Yeah, there, there. I mean, people still went there for economic opportunities, but with the closing down of um, a lot of the other industries and like the the boom of tech, a lot of cities were kind of reinvigorated in a lot of er in a lot of places. And just imagine something like, uh, you know, the Inland Empire. San Bernardino Riverside area that's you know 65 miles away from Los Angeles and the amount of traffic that flows into Los Angeles from all the surrounding areas Inland Empire uh, all almost down to San Diego and you know surrounding areas out towards the coast and deserts and that's imagine just if 10% of those people went remote you would see a huge decrease in People paying $20 for lunch when they go into, into LA and people buying gas before they drive back out to, you know, to their surrounding areas. Uh, now make, now combine that with uh, these companies that decide to close their buildings because their workforce is working, working remotely. Uh, what you're going to see now is a massive, massive cut to the amount of money that comes into cities, both in terms of taxes and just dollars that people are spending and that's going to decrease the amount of money they can spend on police, fire, infrastructure, schools. schools. And uh, I, I think it's it's going to be uh, that's that's just a prediction I think that we can make, and and it's going to be one that's either going to be true or false because we're going to be able to measure it. And and I, I think at the same time though it's going to be good for maybe some of the outlying communities. Like it's going to be good for places who have been seeing their money be absorbed into these big metropolitan areas where now. Rather than spending that money out there, I'm going to spend it in my town that's 60 miles away from the city. I can't imagine, actually, that that's the case with your specific example of the Inland Empire. Why would anybody choose to live in the Inland Empire except that it's within commuting distance of a job in L.A.? <laughs> so you're saying that people may even move out of the Inland Empire. Then. I mean, yeah. if they're remote and they're no longer commuting to L.A., they no longer have to commute to L.A., I, I would argue that the primary reason that the Inland Empire became populated is because of its uh, commutability yeah. to Los Angeles. Well, and there's a lot of outlying communities around large cities around the country that are right. like that. And people live there so they can work in the cities and still afford it's to, to be close. It's not a very desirable place to live in and of itself. Otherwise, maybe there would be... So you're saying another industry. prediction is that even those outlying areas around the big cities then will clear out as well? I mean, we, we heard talk about the Inland Empire sort of becoming the new Rust Belt, um, even... Uh, 10 years ago um we have a lot of like warehouses and things out here that's kind of the only industry the inland empire is known for um yeah i i think if 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 a lot of people that live in this area that are commuting to la go remote i i can't imagine them not then deciding to live somewhere else um because the main desirability factor of the inland empire is proximity to los angeles yeah yeah, no, I agree. I think I think we're going to see this trend of urbanization that's been happening in the U.S. start to either, I don't think it'll reverse, but it's going to slow down a lot. Sort of to transition to another uh, kind of prediction, we've talked a lot about the kind of the community benefits of 
of going to a job, um, a lot of people, that's where they meet their friends. A lot of people um, in their career track, that's where they meet their uh, significant other. <laughs> so mm-hmm. for a lot of people, that's their dating pool or that's their, and it's their friend pool. Um, yeah, I think it's been estimated something like 10, 15% of people meet their spouses at work. Yeah, so, so how do you now meet people if you're not going into the office or if the people that you do work with, the, who you may like, uh, live hundreds of miles away? Right. You're not going to come up with any really strong bonds. <laughs> and um, I think it's why we see that uh, Gen Zers are the most likely to reject a fully remote model as being the way that they want to work. Um, they They want the flexibility and they want remote sometimes, but they're much more are the majority of them want hybrid work schedules where I think gen X is the most likely to want to adopt fully remote. Yeah. And a lot of older millennials, uh, like us, we've already established lots of ties. We've, we've, we're kind of, we've got, well, a, we have between. a lot more relationships already set in stone. Like if we don't come up with new relationships at work, we're probably still going to be okay. But for a lot of people that are just coming out of college, they still don't have these connections yeah. to life built yet, and they're not going to. And I think that's get why Gen remotely. X, Gen X is the most wanting to adopt a fully remote. They're already paired off. They already have their friends. They're tired. They they're sick of the commute. They're just done. They're they they put in their time in the office, and now. They just want to be remote and just forget it. Like they're they're one foot towards retirement in 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 a lot of. I mean, I'm acting like Gen Xers are really old. They're well, not, I mean, they're not that old. <laughs> but, but you but can be a Gen Xer are, in your fifties. Right? They are starting to think about things like retirement. They're in that that last third or last um, last third of their working life. Yeah. So, um, and, and socially they've maybe made all the bonds that they're going to make at work and they don't, they don't need it for that aspect anymore. Uh, but people just out of college, they're, they're moving all over the place away from all their college people. This is the time in their lives where they would start making friends with colleagues or meeting a, a, a person that they want to date at work and yep. get um, on the, get on the corporate ladder, like start networking you need a network. Yep. And, uh, so a fully remote schedule is, um, I think they recognize because they're, they're, they are the ones that are saying, eh, I don't know about this the Even most. Even though they're the ones that are probably most equipped to make the remote work. Yeah, they probably work understand all the technology the and tools that better the than work. the Gen X. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, they, but they also recognize what they will be missing out on if they're not in the office. And I mean, I think uh, you see it too with, with people that these poor kids that had to do their first year of college fully remote. Um, yeah. Imagine like, in your senior year <laughs> and your first year of college remotely. Yeah. That'd be terrible. Like this is sort of a tangent because it's not exactly work related, but, but I do think starting your career remote or starting your is, is similar to starting your college life remote. It's a big milestone. That's it's when you um, jump into this whole new group of people and make relationships that may last you the rest of your life. And, and if they miss out on that, they miss out on that. Yeah. When I, I mean, I couldn't have even imagined like trying to be yeah, remote my first year of college. It would just probably dropped out. Yeah. And then another thing I wanted to address in terms of the community aspect is something that I've seen a little bit in working remote is that, um, 
I mean, we all know how toxic uh, politics have become and no, social media. I was going to say social media uh-huh. is where um, it's so easy to put something online. They, they do all these psychological studies about how people portray themselves online versus in person and, um, and how much more likely people are to say something blunt or hurtful on a post that somebody makes that they don't necessarily know that well. Well, um, even just just written communication in general always comes off blunt. with the less um, so less sympathetic. As as companies go remote and now forms of communication are no longer just in person on the phone email, we have these asynchronous kind of community channels where people people post and. People are used to at work being able to talk about um, non-work things, um, but now they're doing that on sort of internal social medias, whether that's um, Slack, Slack, Tiny Pulse, Teams, Teams. Um, and I've seen stuff get ugly quickly in those kinds of forums. I mean, obviously, everybody that works at a company doesn't have the same ideologies. <laughs> And I can think of no worse way for people to talk about something like the January 6th <laughs> events at the Capitol than on social media, which essentially happens at the workplace on these sort of workplace social medias. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a conversation about cost of living and remote work that blew up on our internal communication and and somebody created a way for people to post anonymously which of course made it escalate (laughs) even more people are so much more comfortable saying things that they wouldn't dream of saying in person if they can post it online anonymously um i think it's it's pretty toxic and i i don't know what the solution is because people should be able to talk with their coworkers about things that aren't work related but if the entire company can view these non-work related posts um, you're bound to have some pretty serious disagreements crop up and and things can get ugly quickly. Yeah, I of course, I, I mean, I think it just goes without saying that the having these conversations non-face-to-face just makes them more explosive. Right. And it makes it so much harder to, to have any compromise or at least see another point of view. People just don't act like they do on these forums in real life. We all, I mean, we, we, all, we all know that. So now we have, and the, the other thing too, is that they're so, they're so competitive to see who can be the, who can complain the most or be the snarkiest or, or say the most explosive thing that it, it gets out of hand so fast. And it's like, these types of things would never happen no. in the, in a face-to-face workplace. Honestly, and, it's probably deteriorated family relationships too, where, if you saw your whole family at Thanksgiving, there might be political arguments, but at the end of the day, you're all still family and you enjoy a piece of pie. <laughs> um, it, but everybody on Zoom calls, somebody says they voted for Donald Trump and somebody says lock her up and somebody says, this goes on, I feel the burn. And then people are just, they just hop off the call. Um, it's yeah. so much easier to just throw a bomb into the middle of relationships yeah I, on on the the equivalent that we have of, of your teams at work or things called tiny pulse yeah it's it's nothing but just a complaining fest and just people 
uh, trying to score points, like trying to be like, oh, I'm the one that cares the most about this social issue and our company needs to do this, this and this, or I won't feel safe at this community or we need this much of an increase in wages we need this much of a vacation you get all these upvotes and comments and oh, it's the just upvotes. i, I and mean, when, uh, when this type can... of thing just it just makes you it makes you dislike people you've never met that you are supposed to be working with like these right. people even though i don't know exactly what job they do at the company we're supposed to be working together to make our company money to make a good product and to make something that people can use instead because of the way we're communicating with each other in a non-face-to-face fashion. We are now people who don't like each other and don't even know each other, but we work at the same company. Right. And how, you know, how over time are you going to have a good culture that can build important things at a company if this is the way that your people interact with each other on a daily basis? Right. It can be super petty stuff even. Like somebody can post a picture of a dog that they bought and people will say, adopt, don't shop. And it's like... Yeah, and Why you know you? people get into these things face to face. It does happen. Yeah, people get, but and I want to emphasize, there's probably solutions to prevent these kinds of things from taking over a company culture, even even in a fully distributed way. Like companies can develop policies to discourage, um, like posting policies where if you post something that's that's just rude. Like that you're going to, that, that HR sees that and, and people see that that's against policy. We have to be nice to the people that we work with or let's uh, politics, political discussions aren't allowed on internal. I mean, I'm not saying that this is something that exists in my company, but it's probably the kind of norm that should be established. Like everybody always says you shouldn't discuss politics and religion with, I mean, people say that you shouldn't discuss it with anybody, essentially. It starts fights amongst your closest family members. Why are you talking about it at work? But um, you definitely shouldn't be doing it on Teams or Tiny Pulse or Slack because it's 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 hugely inflammatory. It's just a yeah. mistake. But I think companies can, can encourage that kind of communication they can. not happen. Because like some of the companies we mentioned earlier, Automatic, Basecamp, some of these people that have been remote first, they have things in place to prevent this type of thing from happening. And, you know, along these lines, I think we can make another prediction. Um, I do think that some companies just aren't going to thrive. I think that uh, company culture is either never going to develop or company culture is going to break down. And right. we're it's kind something... of at a point where I think people, you know, so we, like... Mm-hmm. The idea of like traditions and culture is really like on the wane in the West, <laughs> Western culture, Western civilization anyway. Well, it's like trendy to be counterculture. Yeah, yeah, it's like oh yeah, anything that came from the past is terrible. Let's destroy it, tear it down, and that's that's not even a that's not even a political statement. That's just what people think all across the spectrum, but um, or I should say a partisan um, a partisan sentiment. But this type of thing is just not going to work when there are people that have to work together to build something. And, and some companies are like, they're going to make it to the pandemic fine because they've been established and there's people that know each other. They know how to work with each other. They understand that when they get a message from a coworker that reads a certain way to a person who doesn't know that person, that they, they can actually interpret the real meaning of what they're saying. I get messages from coworkers 
you know, or see them post something. I don't know them, so I don't even know how to interpret yeah, is the this 25 a words. Funny yeah, person, I don't know the tw- or is this person a dick? <laughs> yeah, you have no idea. Companies where people have worked together and then they've seen someone say something similar to that with a smile or smirk on their face versus someone that's seen it with angry face. Like these types <laughs> of things are really, really important. And it's just so trendy right now to be like, oh, this stuff doesn't matter anymore because it's right. old. But I, I, I think what we'll see is that the companies that have strong cultures before are going to make it through companies that start right before or try to start during are going to have a harder time. They can make it. But I, I think a good prediction is that the companies that do require lots of collaboration among their workers are going to do better in a, if they don't go remote than companies that do go remote. Yeah. Although I will say that I've worried a little bit about, even though we are going back, um, teams is, so integrated into communication now that even when we go back people are still going to be posting the kinds of things that they post now um our campus is big we have over three thousand employees um it's just going to be the way people communicate even though we're all in the same even if we all are in the same location people are still going to post a picture of their puppy and get told that they're terrible for (laughs) paying for it (laughs) there's dogs in shelters right so it is something I think, regardless, um, companies that value their culture are, uh, it's one of the things I love about the company that I work for is how many, how, how easy it is to, there's so many people that I work with that are excited about the kinds of things that we build and the kinds of things that we help people um, solve. And I, I work with so many interesting, um, interesting, great people, uh, and I made a lot of friends at work, so I, and I think that comes down to a, a lot the the culture that the company has built over the years. So I do hope that we figure out a way to maintain that, even if even if internal social media is here to stay. Yeah, yeah. To to revise that prediction before, <laughs> <laughs> I I think maybe I could take something that's uh, or a position that's a little more neutral. So. I think we're going to see a stronger selection process where by companies that are fully in person are going to attract people that want to work in person and work well together. And those companies are going to actually do really well. I think that it's also possible that the companies that are going to be remote and the people that like working remote and can make it work will work together. So we're going to see like a, we're going to see a division like we're, uh, maybe companies that are remote or companies that are in person might get even better than they would be with a because hybrid approach because they're going to, they're going to be attracting people that already want to work in those two types of yeah. environments. So uh, that might be an interesting thing to see if that comes yeah, true as well. Because for sure. I do think you know, there are people that are more suited for remote work than I am as yeah. a <laughs> extrovert and a, a collaborator. Like <laughs> I, right. I don't, I don't do well on my own yeah and it's just going to be whether or not the company can make the transition or not so what's interesting is you know ibm was one of the first companies where they said basically like everybody that can work or whose job can be done remotely could work remotely and they started doing that something like 10 years ago ago. 2009 i think though is when they started doing it and then by 2012 they made everybody yeah within a few years they're like this is not working and 
it could have just been because during the times, like, you know, the, the, the technology and tools yet, didn't exist yet for, for efficient remote work. But it could also be that a company that has that kind of culture and has built that kind of momentum over decades just, just, do just needs way. to keep the model that works moving right. forward. Um, right. I think we've covered almost everything in this list, but one thing that uh, you personal had on here was... Problems? What? <laughs> pe- personal things that people have? Oh, I... That's on the list. I thought this, this will people get fatter and stop bathing, or will yeah. they have more time and energy to get fit? Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I think it's an important thing to talk about. <laughs> it goes along with just physical and mental health and, and what... Um, and how societal expectations drive people to do things. So I think a lot of people that are going to work remotely um, are, are going to lose incentives to uh, stay in shape and keep themselves in, uh, in good health because so much of how we uh, decide to take care of ourselves depends on how other people see us. Well, and stereotypically, people in tech already have a problem with this. Well, and I'm not just talking about people <laughs> in, in tech. Uh, well, no, no there's, I mean, there's plenty of people in tech that are just like no, but I, I, that's, very, why, I very stereoty- and, that's yeah. why I said stereotypically. Okay, yeah. the, the, I, I know. the stereotype of the Cheeto dust encrusted uh, hacker is not. I'm not making that up. It is. It, it's it does part exist. of the cultural yeah. stereotyping. But exists. it's, well, I guess, I guess the reason I put that on the outline though is that I, I really think that um, it's important for people to present themselves in the world and to feel some pressure to, uh, to, to do things that would uh, make their lives better that they wouldn't otherwise do because they're not being, I guess you could say, judged by other people. Right. And it's, that's an important part of just the way people interact with each other. That's why, that's, that's a motivating factor for a lot of people and, and that's going to be lost. On the other hand, maybe there are people that had to commute all the time and now they're going to, they're going to now get, they can go for a run every they're day. going to get ripped because they get to, yeah, <laughs> they can work a, out in their home gym. So that, that could possible too. But there was a, we know, early... we know where people actually fall on these lines, right? Cause we see the trends in society of incre- like increasing obesity, increasing alcoholism. health problems, alcoholism. That's going to be where most people fall. It's not going to be people getting super fit. It's going to, and I think that we're going to see an increase in uh, obesity and disease, both physically, and I think we're going to see a lot of mental. Uh, oh, for sure, there's illness increase been, as well. There's been uh, even people that noted, think they like to be alone. Um, it, it, it's depressing to be alone, even if you don't think that you're being depressed. You, you're. I I feel really bad for. Um, I can't imagine having gone through this pandemic if I lived alone. Yeah, being single and alone. That would and be... I know people that, that had lived through the worst of our, this lockdown, taking it very seriously, not going out and living alone, which without even a pet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which the would... puppy improved our lives like tenfold when we got him. So I, I... Well, and we already had two other dogs. I know. And then that... And, and maybe we need... Um, that that connection more than the average person, but I think every even the people that think they don't need it realize they need it when they don't have it, any of it. Right, and having a job that you go to every day that forces you to get out of the house, forces you to have a routine, forces you to see other people, puts you in 
it, it forces you to do those things, but it also sets up those opportunities that people would not create otherwise for themselves because it's an automatic thing. It, it automatically creates those opportunities to talk to people, automatically creates those opportunities to see what's going on in your community, it automatically creates opportunities for you to go out and explore things that you wouldn't see before if you're staying at home. Yeah, look what and happened. if you don't have the ability to do that, to, to um, it, I shouldn't say the ability to do that, but if you don't have some incentive to do that already or if you didn't, I mean, some people don't even think about it. It's just like mm-hmm. that comes automatic to you because that's what you're used to doing. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to consciously set aside the time to do those things or you're going to realize how much you're going to be missing. I was going to say, look what happened to Thor when he wasn't going to Avengers meetings regularly anymore. <laughs> that, was, that was a meme that was floating around early pandemic. That was, there's going to be two people coming out of quarantine and they had the picture of fat Thor and the, the picture of regular Thor. Um, but as John points out, I think fat Thor is going to be more common. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, and I know a lot of it had to do with the pandemic and not just remote work. So we're, we're probably mixing a lot of these things together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so we got to be careful, work, but we, we have seen that like pre-pandemic, uh, the amount can... of alcohol-related trips to the ER have gone up significantly. People are spending a lot more money on alcohol. People are um, doing all these things. And I'm just saying that if you're, if you're spending a lot more time alone and you're not interacting with people, then those types of... Well, a lot more people become... are being treated for depression and anxiety. And it, it is hard to say how much of that is from like not going to work and seeing people and how much of it is from anxiety Pandemic. about all the people that have died and anxiety about am I going to get sick and depression because you've lost people or anger because of how divided everybody is about political shit. Um, or, or you gained a bunch of weight during the pandemic and now you're sad. <laughs> uh, it's hard to tease out what I think obviously coming back from all the pandemic shit is going to be a positive regardless of where we end up on remote work, but it'll be interesting to see which parts of remote work have lasting impacts. Yeah. You know, just, and just maybe a a little thing to add on here. Thanks. We kind of didn't talk about it. And we talked about a little bit with how important it is for body language and actually having in-person communication. Right. Uh, how important that is for culture it's just going to be also important for things uh politically as well i mean because we talked about how you wouldn't have these types of blow-ups maybe in person uh the more time people are sitting alone and not communicating with people it's going to i think uh, as another prediction it's just going to increase the amount of political polarization that we see um it could just be that we haven't driven as much recently, but I just feel like people are less courteous when they're driving. I feel like uh, people... When you read stuff about airline behavior, people... Yeah, and then, of course, a lot of this is pandemic stuff, wearing masks, like not being able to see people's faces, but... but maybe people are just less kind now because they don't interact with human beings enough. I know, and so what I'm saying is even though I'm not going to put all this on remote work, I'm just saying that's another uh, another factor that's going to increase or, you know, that's going to... Uh, be put into uh, the mix and even you know if it's just five percent of the people more are going to be working remotely this year the next year that's millions of people and uh and that's millions of people that that uh you know could have you know issues from this so right well that's a little bit of a dire note to end on i definitely like (laughs) 
we we should emphasize that there are a lot of positives with remote work. There are, and, yeah. and I feel I feel hugely fortunate that I was in a position to be allowed to work remotely during the pandemic. Um, I'm somebody that has some health issues that put me at a little bit more risk, so um, I uh, admit my privilege and I'm grateful for it. So uh-huh. yeah. Uh, I think re- remote work uh, for me. I- I'm I'm so glad to have had that opportunity. So definitely take all of our <laughs> doom and gloom with a grain of salt, and with the knowledge that like we're very grateful to our our respective companies for having provided us that option. Right. Yeah. I definitely that said, agree I'm with that. Sentiment. So happy to go back in January. <laughs> yeah. I just I just want like the just to remember this like everything that that people have accomplished like humans have accomplished because we have to do it like in groups with other people right and like we said even even moms that are stay-at-home moms they figure out ways to build communities where they they share and share the the work of taking care of kids because it's easier in a big group they support each other through hard times human beings naturally um coalesce into these kinds of groups where we work together yeah, it's the only way we can do big things. So if we are all transitioning to remote work, we just need to make sure that we somehow keep our communication tools intact. Yeah, I mean, hopefully even people that want to be remote will turn to other kinds of community outlets. They'll play more intramural sports or they'll join a, a board game club or they'll join a hiking group. Like maybe maybe remote work gives people more time to build the kind of communities they'd rather be living in. Right. You could choose your community rather than just being forced into one. Right. So I think there, there's a lot to see how it plays out and there's a lot to be concerned about, but there's also a lot to be hopeful mm-hmm. for. So, yeah. Um, on that note, what are you happy about this week? Or what <laughs> do you I, like this week? Am I happy about this week? That way we end on a super up note. Yeah, I was just imagining how cool it would be if we could just have little robots that have the iPads and we, like, have, like, offices and people can, like, drive their little robot with the iPad around the office and just, like, bump into people and stuff that are in the office from remote. Isn't there a show that does that? Yeah, they did it in... The office? uh, uh, Yeah, they did one like that in the office. And then... How I Met Your Mother did one where Marshall was, like, they had that... He didn't move around, but he was... They put the iPad on the Marsh pillow. That's right. There was there was some other one too. I feel like somebody got oh, killed. Oh, community. Ah, oh, community. Yeah. Yeah, they right. had those like broom <laughs> things that yeah. And they pushed him down the stairs. That's when they got to the, the fight in the parking garage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay. Oh, because it was they were letting people from prison attend community college, and that's, that's right. how they were letting them attend was attached to basically Roombas. That's right. Okay, on that <laughs> tangent. <laughs> Um, I did actually propose that when I was the only person remote on the team. I was like, can we just get like a, like a device in the open area and we'll just leave the video on all the time. And like, I won't interact with it unless somebody needs to walk over and talk to me, but then they can just walk over and talk to me. They don't have to start a phone call. Yeah. And nobody wanted to do that. I think that's (laughs) sort of similar to the idea behind the, what was the Facebook, uh, device they had that was like an iPad. But it uh, it sat in your like in your living room, and it would be like always connected to your family, and then right. you could just walk up, and it would it would track your movement and kind of like it looked it had like though. a directional microphone, so that it wasn't as clunky as like holding a phone. And yeah, I don't, I there don't, were ads for that for a long time. Yeah, I think the Muppets 
Maybe. <laughs> we're, we're you being used to advertise. Okay. So what right. do you what do you like this week? Uh, what makes you happy this week? Actually, one thing that I thought was really fun was uh, at home neutralizing antibody test. <laughs> Even though I had to do finger pricks, like it's uh, and, and bleed a little bit. It's it's really uh, it just shows like how much more we can do at home than we could we couldn't do before. Um, so actually, his uh, antibodies are high. Yes, they are. They are high. Seventy six is what my score was. Out of. 100 oh. <laughs> percent <laughs> something like uh i, I think I, I need to look it up i'm probably just gonna say it all wrong but what i think they do is they take they take your sample and they challenge it with like spike proteins and they can see like they know the the concentration of your sample and your spike proteins so that then they can say like oh this percent of the spike proteins that we challenged your uh blood sample with that has the antibodies and it was taken up and we know that this many like made it through or whatever so they can like say that your antibodies removed that many you know uh prevented that many spike proteins from from binding to the receptors that would cause an infection so i guess i'm like when they say people were like 99 percent you know, protected by the vaccine. I guess I'm like down to 76% protected now after six months with the vaccine. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. I think that when I read something that when the polio vaccine first came out, it was only something like 50% effective. So when people were sort of poo-pooing the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, it's like, we only got good, good at vaccines good. Yeah. really recently. Yeah. So like, I mean, this good. Yeah. Um, it's impressive. Was there something else I was supposed to say that I liked this week? Oh, we talked about the, the taking the puppy hiking and oh, how yeah. much you had been so looking forward to that. So, yeah, he's old enough now to go hiking at, like, was he 15 months? I wanted to wait till he was well over a year till he's right. developed, but uh, he's just fine doing a three-mile hike in the hills. Yeah, on no his problem. second try. Yeah, so that was that was really fun, taking him up there and doing that. So we have a, We have a little backpack a canine sports sack <laughs> that uh we take him up the most narrow part of the trail in and then we, we yeah if there's there. busy roads across before we get there or or roads without sidewalks i should say before we get to the trailhead and then it's because there's coyotes and rattlesnakes and so there i don't want to walk him through the narrow brushy areas so right. that way once we get to the wide trails where there's roads and like dirt roads and wide trails we can let him down I'll go ahead and I'll post a picture of that on our Instagram, which is nobody.knows.podcast. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, uh, I'll make sure we get some puppy pictures up there for you of his hike. <laughs> and uh, I guess I'll go. Yeah. Um, what I'm happy about, we're recording this the day before Halloween, and Halloween is my favorite holiday. So I'm happy about Halloween. Uh We've got, uh, for the three wiener dogs, we've got condiment costumes this year. We have a ketchup, a mustard, and a relish. Uh, I'll Sweet stick relish, spicy mustard, and sassy, sassy ketchup. ketchup. <laughs> and uh, we're, I'll post some pictures of that as well. And, and John and I are um, also condiments. So uh, we, have, we haven't determined who's who yet, but we've got spicy barbecue sauce and cool ranch dressing. Um, so as a family tonight, we're going to carve some pumpkins and dress up as condiments uh, and maybe watch a <laughs> scary movie. <laughs> we are a happening household. What can I tell you? Yep. Um, 
but yeah, we didn't break out any Halloween decorations this year, but maybe maybe tonight we'll get a little spooky. Yeah, we'll just get it all out tonight for two days. Why not? And uh, then then it'll all go back in the garage, and the Christmas stuff will come out. <laughs> uh, probably not till after Thanksgiving. Uh, I guess I guess that's what I'm happy about. Um, hopefully, we get another podcast or two in. Uh, before the year is over and we're <laughs> yeah, going to try to we're going to try to um I know one of the ones that we would like to have is and we'll give at least one or two podcasts lead time but we want to do a uh like a book report style podcast where we announce a book that um we're reading and that if you as listeners want to read in preparation we'll um then discuss the book on the podcast and uh we've had some talks with at least one listener about doing a guest appearance on the show so We'll see if we can figure out a way to make that work. If not this year, going into the next year, mm-hmm. um, we, we would one lucky like guest, <laughs> one lucky, one lucky guest. listener. <laughs> There's and about it, a seventeen percent chance that it's you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know how many listeners we have in Germany. It could be one person that listens repeatedly, or um, I think it's we butter the bread with butter. You think it's it's a, it's the band yep. that is listening to us? Okay, uh, that's a nice thought. I but, hope it is. Well, yeah, that would be amazing. Um, so we will. Um, I think on any podcast that would require lead time, we'll make sure we announce it ahead of time and uh, rate, review, subscribe um, wherever you listen to podcasts. I think uh, I think we're just on Apple and and. Um, SoundCloud. SoundCloud. We we haven't made it over to Spotify yet, so. Uh, and then uh, follow us on Instagram, nobody.knows.podcast. And thanks for joining us. All right. See you next time.